0: Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance.
1: You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's guests are two gentlemen behind the Grassroots Co-op, which is the the highest possible standard for animal tracking and welfare uh, for being part of our ecosystem and part of our food. They're both at home. Uh, in Arkansas for today's episode. and we're going to talk about what's really going on in slaughterhouses, uh, not from a shaming perspective, but from a hey, you can't buy what you think is meat right now and, and why that's going on from people who have actually worked on disrupting that by telling you what's happening in your food. Uh, first guest here, Cody Hopkins is a physicist turned farmer and he's the CEO of Grassroots Farmers Co-op. He spent 12 years doing vertically integrated sustainable livestock farming. And just if you're a long time listener, you hear me mention my farm. Guys, I have a dozen pigs, a dozen sheep. I am nowhere near Cody, uh, Cody's level at all on this or Andy's level, who's the CEO of Cypress Valley Meat Company in Arkansas, um, who's a, a powerhouse in the meat industry, at least the company is. And I guess you could say Andy is as well. Uh, but uh, I, I'm a tiny little farmer. I farm for my family, and we sell uh, that Asprey Farms meat in two small uh, local, uh, uh, you know, local community things to feed my neighbors, right? So, but I, I have practiced this on a tiny scale, but but I've done it for three years with my family. I make my my kids do the work, um, and I dream of scaling this up. And like I got two guys on on the show today who actually have scaled it up beyond one family farm uh, in the U.S. So. You're going to hear from Andy. Uh, Andy, say hi so people see what you look like on YouTube or just hear from you if they're just listening. Hey, guys. All right. And Cody, say hi. Hello. All right. So now you know their voices. And this is cool because uh, Andy actually looks uh, as an overseer in multiple USDA inspected processing plants including the ones who service grassroots the major meat retailers and farmers and the private label meat that you probably have eaten if you like to go spend more than 100 dollars at a fine restaurant on you know world class steak so that's the processing side and then Cody's the how do you raise an animal that lives a good life Uh, eats uh, clean food, is treated well from the time it's in its mother's womb, from the time it's weaned, if it even is weaned, (laughs) and then uh, until the time it makes its way to butchering and slaughtering. And yeah, you do slaughter animals before you eat them because otherwise eating them before they're slaughtered is really rude, Uh, but you do it ethically and cleanly, uh, and that is a part of the cycle of life. Uh, So guys, I'm honored to have you on Bulletproof
2: Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having us.
1: Cody, walk me through,
3: physicist,
1: small farmer, uh, <laughs> well, doesn't compute so I, here.
3: So I grew up in rural Arkansas, um, was the first person in my immediate family to go to college, went off, and I just happened to be good at math and and ended up uh, majoring in physics and, and math, and uh, but always wanted to move back to rural Arkansas where I grew up. And um, in the process of being in college and traveling a bit, I also fell in love with Really good, high-quality food being sourced from small-scale farmers' food that you knew where it came from. Um, you you know you could get it fresh, and it was um, that really made a big impact on me. And when I was young, and so those two things kind of came together in uh, you know me moving back to Arkansas after I spent a, u- a few years teaching high school physics and math, and uh, met my now wife, and we ended up we were trying to find a way to to create a living here in the the rural Arkansas Ozarks, there's just not a lot of opportunities, and uh, we thought we'd give uh, livestock farming a shot. We were really inspired by folks like Joel Salatin and Michael Pollan in the beginning, and uh, and so in 2006 we kicked off our farm, and uh, and you know we're looking at a pasture-based, grass-fed livestock farm focused on regenerative agriculture, wanting to feed our community, create jobs, feed our family. And also, um, you know, improve the the land and the process, and um, and so that was really uh, it's it's kind of a weird story, I guess. is not quite—it's hard to connect the dots, but um, it's been a way for us to return me to return to rural Arkansas and create a living and a, a life that's um we feel like we're having a big impact on our local community. So,
1: I get asked this every time I post a picture of my little baby sheep, or uh, I, I just posted a picture of a, a raw piece of of. Bone-in ribeye, uh, and uh, it's got you know oregano on it, but it's still. Where I'm like, guys, I'm you know, feeding my family with this, and I always get one or two uh, very angry, radical things. So, how can you slaughter your family pets and what? Okay, Cody, you had to go through this. You are a farmer. You have raised animals. You eat the animals themselves. How can you look an animal in the eye and then eat it?
3: Yeah, it's so it's not. Always easy, uh, for sure. Um, and my wife was actually a vegetarian before, you know. We, you know, at one point in her life, uh, we actually have several employees on the grassroots staff who were uh, who are either currently vegetarian or previously vegetarian. I,
1: I was a raw vegan. It made me sicker yeah. than hell. Like yeah. it really yeah. messed up my biology, and it has for for tens of thousands of other people. So um, just just full disclosure for listeners, like, like it's okay if if that's what you're doing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's understandable that people, I mean, the, you know, when all you see is the industrial meat system, it's understandable why folks would want to turn away from meat. But um, livestock have a really, animals have a really important role in our ecosystem. And um, you know, livestock farming can do amazing things for the soil. I know we see so many stories about the, the uh, challenges that, or the, the pollution that's caused by uh, livestock production. But done in a small scale, appropriate scale, um, where you're rotationally managing the animals, you can actually improve the quality of the soil. Create more diversity, uh, and also, you know, more organic matter helps sequester carbon. Additionally, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's there's a lot of really important nutrients you get from eating uh, grass-fed and pasture-raised livestock. And so, it's a, um, I understand that we eat a lot of meat in this country. I actually am someone who thinks that we should eat a little less as a you know, on average. Amen. As, yep. And, uh, but better quality and that animals are really important to keeping really healthy ecosystems. And so it's a, you know, done in balance. I think it can be, it's a fantastic thing, but it is, it's, you know, there's when, uh, you know, with life there's death. And so it's, there's always going to be some, whether you're, you know, mowing a a pasture and killing some insects, you know, there's always going to be something dying. And so um, in our case, you know, we, 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 we do harvest our animals and it's it's a sad day when they leave but it also is a day to celebrate and we do everything we possibly can to we prepare the meats to really you know show you know really respect the animal and and make sure that we use the whole carcass so. I,
1: I actually did some math I, I met a Tibetan monk in Tibet a llama uh, who ran a monastery I'm not an actual llama uh, since we're a farming conversation today <laughs> <laughs> no obstacles either yeah <laughs> and he uh uh, I said, Hey man, it, it, I've just been at your vegetarian retreat and, and you tell me no killing, but you got, a uh, uh, is that a yak skin mm-hmm. on your prayer pole and you're a hypocrite and, and they like robust debate. So he laughs at me and he goes, no, you know, one death feeds everyone.
2: Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. and I was like,
1: well, mind blown. And you yeah. figure out your little like Tofurky thing, the number of bunnies, turtles, and I mean, you guys have lots of those, those big frogs down there in Arkansas. Uh, right. And you, you run a tractor through your soybean crop. And if it wasn't so poisoned that all the animals were dead in the first place, you can pick up enough frog's legs to eat for a week behind a tractor, not to mention snake parts and turtles and bunnies and all that. Like it, it's it's nasty. Right. And so you're saying, I have my cruelty free tofu. No, you don't. Like you just destroyed an ecosystem but if you have a grass-fed cow, what else is going on in that in that pasture where the cow is? Assuming you're not you're bringing a lot of, of grass in, if you're rotating, what else do you see on the ground around the cow?
3: Yeah, you see, you know, uh, earthworms. You see, you know, all kinds of uh, diversity in the grasses, you know, legumes, and uh, different grasses developing. So it's uh, you actually when you manage it properly, you create more life and more diversity in a way that's really uh, exciting and actually makes. A small farm, more productive and better for the environment.
1: So, I I heard that uh, Joel Salatin was on Bulletproof Radio probably seven eight years ago. I've um, had some other uh, regenerative agriculture people on over the time. Paul Stamets, uh, but having really jumped in about five years ago, we moved to this property. We've we restored the the former five acre gravel pit to productive soil. But watching where the pigs go, watching where the sheep go, and just the explosion of life that comes from that, I, I am more committed uh, to to taking care of this. Three years ago, I was a, uh, one of the people who supported the XPRIZE uh, carbon capture thing. This mm-hmm. is a, a thing where a group of people get together, donate money and expertise to figure out how to had to capture carbon, and all of the research for that was, oh, we have this amazing technology. It, it's like solar powered, and everything. It's called soil, and it captures <laughs> yeah. carbon better than almost anything. So we could like make solar cells, or we could just have some animals crap somewhere, and then we could capture enough carbon <laughs> to save yeah. the world, right? Oh, yeah, and we're, right. we're running out of topsoil in sixty years because of industrial farming.
3: Mm-hmm,
1: that's um, right? Do you have yeah. any metrics from yeah. Cody from either your own farm or? The network that you put together for grassroots, um, that that shows how much soil you're building while you're providing, you know, basically mail order access to yep. this kind of super high quality trackable food. Um, how much soil have you added back to the world?
3: So one one interesting metric, you know, we take soil tests uh, about every year to see what our organic matter looks like and how it's improving or maybe not improving uh and it's been amazing watching over the years our soil organic matter which is basically like the the uh the fluffy brown part right there on top of the of the, the soil there right under the grass um and the more you have of that the more uh carbon that soil can sequester and we've seen our soil our organic matters go from one and a half percent one you know uh, 1.9% up to almost 4%. And so one uh, way to look at this is every percentage point that you increase that organic matter on an acre of soil, you increase that soil's water holding capacity by 20,000 gallons. And so seeing, you know, we've increased about you know, a couple of percentage points on the acreage that we farm. It creates a, it really increases the the soil's water holding capacity along with carbon sequestration. So it's, um, it's, it's been, I mean, we've seen the proof in those results. It's made, it, and you can also see it when you go out and you just look at the grass as compared to, you'd see bare spots before. And now you're seeing, yeah. you know, it's just completely covered. Um, it, you know, our, our pastures green up sooner than our neighbor's pastures. Um, they go longer into the winter. Um, it's just, uh, you know, our cattle look healthier. It's just a, a different, um, uh, you know it's 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 all there's all kinds of little proof points in in what we're seeing
1: on our farm every day. So you're you're seeing it you have more experience you started in 2006. in uh, my limited amount I you know once we put up some uh, some fencing to be able to move the sheep from one pasture to another you're going wait they <laughs> they're in that pasture cuz the grass is a foot and a half tall and then the one where they weren't even though I live in in summer it's like paradise up here yeah. um the grass is a different color and and yeah. it's just so painfully obvious Uh, um, and, and so I, I feel connected to the cycle of life, but you know, I used to live in Palo Alto, you know, I, I traveled to New York and, and, you know, all over the place. And, and I, I know how lucky I am to do that. I also know how inconvenient it is. Uh, I also know that the land is dirt cheap when you live in the middle of nowhere, like you do. And like I do too. Um, so there are advantages, but for people who can't do that, um, I've been disturbed and, and one of the, the. There were global shortages of grass-fed butter because of Bulletproof Coffee. And I've been saying, if you're not eating grass-fed, you're doing dairy wrong, you're doing meat wrong, and you're causing harm to the world, you're causing harm to yourself. And I believe that 100%. And and I I do not eat industrial animals. I will be a radical vegan before I'll do that because it's bad for you. Um, however, being a radical vegan is bad for you too. So like, Dan, if you do, Dan, if you don't, grass-fed is your answer. But so if you, you you do it, but now you go out there and there's people saying, oh, it's grass-fed. And you find, oh, yeah, except for you know they fed it a bunch of whatever to fatten it up and give it diabetes in the last 90 days of its life. So that the grass finished is important. Yeah, um, that's right. But then you don't know if it was finished on GMO grass in a feedlot where they just shoveled grass in. What are your standards for that? And then I want to switch over to Andy and talk about, you know, okay – Fine, it was fed, right, but what's going on in industrial slaughter versus small farmer slaughter and and where the problems are? But, okay, first off, how do people know that they're getting something real?
3: So we've always had a a deep commitment to being radically transparent with our customers. Like Our our standards that all of our farmers follow are published on our website. We know that uh, every package of meat that a customer gets, they know exactly which farm it came from. Uh, We have a little QR code on there that they can trace. Uh, actually, on a blockchain-powered platform, exactly like where uh, you know, where it was raised, where it was processed, how it was raised. Um, so, just a, the first thing is really trying to give customers a, as much information as possible so that they can make an educated decision on what they want and they can trust what they get. Um, additionally, you know we uh, we want to bring you know, we bring customers out to take to do tours on our farms, open farm policies, right? Um, and and so there's a um, a real commitment from day one on, you know, we connecting our farmers, I mean, I'm a farmer, the farmers are part of grassroots directly with customers so that there's, you know, there's not this distance. And, you know, if you go and buy a steak in the grocery store, you have no idea, almost, Unless you're buying from a local co-op, you, know, you may you can probably buy something that came from a local farmer. But yeah. in most cases, like it's your stores you're selling to, but in most cases, most national chains, there's no transparency or traceability at all. You have no clue, even you know what country it came from. In most cases, and so uh, really trying to shorten that. Um, that just make it basically where when a customer's buying, they're buying directly from the farm. That's what they're doing when they're buying from grassroots. And so, um, you know, it's uh, and all of ours, on the grass fed side, uh, when it comes to our beef, all of our beef is 100 percent grass fed and grass finished. You know, they're being finished on, um, you know, out on pasture, on grass. You know, it's never, there's never any grain involved at all. And how
1: many how many different farms are a part of Grassroots right now?
3: So right now we're close to uh, we're 45 farms right now. And so like last time is, we
1: talked you were at like 27. So more and more adjoining. But do they have to like sign off on your list of standards for oh feed yes. and we all that in order some, to join?
3: We actually have. So we have a great partnership with the, with a local nonprofit, uh, Heifer International. Uh, they do work all around the world, uh, but they have a, a, a domestic program called Heifer USA, and they work with us. They have a, a training farm. And we partnered with them, and we, uh, we we send our farmers there to get training, to do classes, to to learn more about how to meet our production standards. So it's sort of like a pipeline developed of new farmers uh, or interested farmers. So, so they, they, they train of, them, they and train they them, they certify right.
1: them, and then you're like okay, you can come in because you treat the animals well. You know, you allow them enough time with their mothers and all that kind of stuff.
3: That's right. And then we have people on grassroots staff, so we're very different. You know, we're actually. We're, we're not just going out and finding someone who's already established. We're actually training new farmers, helping uh, new people. Growing new farmers. Who, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of, our, one of our core missions is to help create the next generation of farmers. And so uh, we work closely with Heifer to do that. And, uh, and that's a big part of our process. And that way, you know, we, we don't buy from a farm that we haven't set foot on. So it's, uh, you know, we have people out working closely with them and developed a relationship, usually over a course of a couple of years before we actually start purchasing from them
1: thank you for for doing that work and it's really hard and i was I was really blown away when we first started talking a couple of years ago. I actually started buying your stuff when I do forty years of Zen the neurofeedback you know five day program where we're buying your bacon It's really hard to get clean bacon. Yeah. I grow my own bacon I just can't send it over the border yeah so uh, you know, yours yours is the the top the highest quality I could get uh and uh, what I like is you can literally take a picture of each uh, of each thing on your phone. The QR code pops up everything you'd want to know about it. And what what made me really impressed by that was my own experience. You know, ha- having gone through and sort of like, All right, I'm just going to do a little bit. I, I don't have a dream of running a large scale grass fed farm. I have a dream of you know being at one with the the world around me uh, and letting my children and you know, my family experience that uh, nourishing my local community, maybe growing enough for my little restaurant here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I was most concerned about slaughter. So when we had yep. two pigs, my, uh, my wife's dad, was going to come down, who's lived in a log cabin for 50 years. And he's like, yep, yeah, I know how to do that. Although he has more of a Canadian redneck accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also some check in there as well. But literally we were going to, you know, butcher the pigs on property. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, put in the infrastructure necessary to, to really do the, the, the highest integrity. Um, but then um, he couldn't make it over. Um, and we're like, okay. So I went to the local uh, meat processing house and, you know, Andy, we're getting into your, your part of the world. And I found, you know, there were two of them that were certified. Uh, maybe there were three at the time on the island where I live. It's a large island, Vancouver Island. Uh, but now there's only two is a couple of years later, right? Only two small artisanal um, um, processors. Uh, and, I'm worried about that because one of them, the guy's getting older and his kids don't want to run it. And I'm looking at these people saying, I want a sustainable job. You want a sustainable job? <laughs> Man, start a small, certified, <laughs> high integrity, high ethical meat processing plant and make some sausage and some bacon there. And you will be incredibly wealthy. You'll be nourishing your society. You will be providing an act of service and you'll be able to look every animal in the eye and know that you're doing the right thing. And that—that and that is that is my standard right and and if i'm not willing to do that i'm not willing i'm not willing to eat it and i know that you guys do that cody but what i want to know is how the heck did you find a meat processor who would have that level of standard and track it because even now i'm like i'm pretty darn sure that they gave me my pig back yeah But one year they didn't put the name of each pig on the package and i was so traumatized because i wanted to see which of the two tasted different yeah right
3: (laughs) well i will say you know so for years we actually processed all of our poultry on farm because we could not find a processor we felt good about. And I will say that's, that was, you know, grassroots has had, it's been a challenge that the, the, the uh, infrastructure to support small family farms doing what we're doing just does not exist anymore. And so, uh, you know, we almost went out of business because we could not find the right processor. We were using six different processors, trying to find the right one. And then I met Andy and you know, it was someone who cared so much about animal welfare, about the quality, about, you know, understood the importance, you know, he, you know, been out numerous times on my farm, you know, understands what we're doing and the importance of it. And, um, and we, we decided, well, let's form a partnership together and launch a, um, a poultry processing business. And then we also partnered with him on his, uh, red meat plant too. And so, um, you know, it was, uh, it was tough. And I don't know if there are many folks out there like Andy. He's a pretty special person, and and we were uh, it really gave grassroots a chance to succeed because of that partnership. And um, you just you can't have meat if you don't have a really high quality processor, and that's what we found in Andy. And we were fortunate to do it.
1: So Andy tell me about big meat <laughs> you know, the, the, these uh these big food processors uh, the big meat packing plants uh we've been seeing all these things uh, both in the us and in canada about you know meat shortages if you can call it meat I, i'm gonna be straightforward if you're still eating industrial <laughs> meat it, it's like saying there's a shortage of food because you don't have snickers bars uh, that actually isn't food uh, but uh um, what's going on? Like, like, why are why is it so concentrated, first of all? And then why are people getting so sick at those things? What's happening? Yeah,
2: I think that, you know, when you look at what people have said in the past to uh, being too big to fail, I think we're seeing quite the opposite now. I think they're just too big to to stay uh, continually in motion while all this is going on. When you've got that many employees concentrated in one location, it's almost uh, impossible to keep everybody healthy and, and at work. And I think that we're seeing um, the, the repercussions of having centralized food system
1: right now. One of the things that does uh, food, the big food industrial processors are, are famous for is crowding, not just chickens. <laughs> hey man, I mean, I uh, went to college in the Central Valley in, in California and I watched when Tyson bought up all the, the you know, turkey farmer contracts and all that. And they're smashing all these animals into things. It was, it was horrible. Some of my friends, you know, were in that industry and they were all kind of like, I can't believe this, but you know, we're going to go out of business if we don't you know, you know give into that. Uh, but I, I look at what they're doing, but they also smash their workers in, in similar, similar things. So sure. they're bringing, uh, you know, people in from outside the U S quite often, uh, which doesn't mean that those are people who are more or less likely to have uh, a disease. Um, but what it does mean is that if you have them living in a dormitory, dormitory style thing without a lot of, you know, with shared bathrooms, you know, without a lot of space, and apparently this is happening a lot just the working editions where you're crowded and then you're living cl- close together. Cause you're rotating people in and out like that. Um, it, is, is that a part of the problem here where the, they're smashing the animals together? They're smashing the people together. Like there's just enough space or is there more to it than that?
2: Well, I think that's a large part of it. I think having that many people in a confined space is very hard to manage. I think, you know, you, uh, as Cody and, has highlighted the, the, the problems of industrial ag from a farming standpoint, there's the same problems that are happening in processing as well. And I think any time that you try to, uh, to to get that many people in, not only is the numbers against you and the volume of people that you're putting in a facility, but it's also hard to just, even uh, the policies and procedures that are in place, um, you know, it's just hard to get everybody to follow those. Uh, when you're going in and you're having sending out blanket emails or you're putting up a, a poster or by the time clock. That's different than going and having one-on-one conversations with people that you care very deeply about, and people that uh, that you know by first name. You know uh, their wife's name. In most cases, know their children, and you can come to them and say, "Look, we we've got a mission here. We've got uh, farmers that's coming to us that need to get their product to market, and in a lot, in most cases." You know, our workers know these farmers or a lot of these farmers. And so they're committed to these people to get their pro- product out. And they're committed to to know that that they're feeding local communities and in, in, uh, rule in their own communities. And so they have a, a sense of ownership If they want to be there. They take pride in that and take pride in keeping themselves healthy.
1: This idea of, of decentralized food production is is very scary to large corporate interests. <laughs> um, the, the idea that, oh, people within 100 miles of where anyone listening to this lives might be growing animals in a way that protects soil. It, it's very hard to scale that up and roll it together and centralize it and grind down wages and all that stuff, and that the animals might be of different quality. And then instead of trucking them all over the place to a central, a, a central authority where essentially all the animals get treated exactly the same, um, whether they're higher quality, lower quality. You mix it all together. You know, images of that Pink Floyd, uh, uh, another brick in the wall commercial. You know, everyone's marching into the little meat thing. It's kind of like that. Um, that is the exact opposite of what we're doing, where you pair a family farm with a, a, a butcher, a, a slaughterhouse, but where okay, you don't let the animals see each other get slaughtered, right? And, and you allow the animals time to calm down after just the, the, the trauma of a truck ride, okay? <laughs> and not a crowded together truck ride across state lines where some of them freeze to death, which is not uncommon uh, with industrial meat processing, but a ride down the road, oftentimes towed by a pickup truck. Um, when, when you have something like that, it, it's what comes out at the end of that process is a very different thing. Um, and it's because the farmer cared, because he knows he's going to eat it, and, and he knows that his family and his community is going to eat it, and the person who does the work knows that as well. Um, what's different? In, I mean, do you, do you pay more than a normal slaughterhouse to your people? Is there a different training? Like, how do they know to do this ethically? Um, you know, do they have to meditate before they decide? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're in Arkansas. They might not yeah. meditate.
2: But, like, what's What's different? We don't have required meditating yet. We don't. That's not requirement yet. Although they can if they would like. Uh, you know, I, I think what we try to do is is we do want to pay a living wage for sure. But but it's a it's more than that. It's we want to teach a skill set. They're when they come in, it's not that they're going to do uh, cut this wing off this chicken for the next twenty years, or they're going to uh, grind hamburger at this station uh, for the next ten years. We're, we're going to come in and we're going to teach them uh, about the industry. We're going to teach them uh, how to bring this animal in. Uh, all the way from when they're harvesting the animal, all the way through the process of, of fabricating it, cutting it into retail cuts for the consumer, packaging it, boxing it, learning the, the USDA regulations and guidelines. What we're doing is is we're not uh, just trying to set a factory line, a position. We're trying to teach them a skill set that that's very valuable, and we we want to give them an opportunity to grow. We want to invest in their lives, and we want to see them succeed. You know, it's it's from the farmer side all the way through the processing side. We want. We want total integrity throughout the value
1: chain. There's uh, – this is one of those things where, okay, sometimes if you want it done right, you at least have to learn it yourself even if you don't have to do it yourself. So when I started doing this, um, I went out to one of the local slaughterhouses and I said, all right, guys, I, I need you to teach me how you do what you're doing. And I spent a whole day there. And I wish I had some good video of this. This was a, a few years ago. <laughs> Love to see that. But I went out there, all right, this is before we even got our animals. I said, all right, you know, I, I actually want to be able to – for um, like, show me how do you harvest a sheep, right? You know, if I'm willing to do yeah. this, you know, let, let's do it. I'm I'm buying sheep from a neighbor, but they're already, you know, pre-cut up. And then they said, all right, here's how we do it. Here's how we skin it. <laughs> here's how you take it down to a bandsaw. And I can tell you, it is damned hard to cut up an animal in a good way, <laughs> right? And, and when I say cut up an animal in a good way, okay, it had to be butchered ethically. Uh, you know, I, I, both of you can tell me, what happens if you if you basically – uh, I, I think you use the word harvest. Because if you kill an animal that is in terror, what happens to the meat?
2: Well, if it's stressed, it's certainly going to be, uh, uh, you're going to have color variations and it's not going to be nearly as tender. Yeah, it, yeah. it gets yeah. tough and it tastes bad, right? <laughs> so uh,
1: that said, I've seen videos in industrial slaughterhouses at scale. They have machines that, that do this and they do not care if an animal is scared, right? There is no compassion. There's no, um, there's no, there's nothing good there that I can possibly say, and, and facing that, I'm not eating that. Right? It's unethical to do it. Right? On on every level, from an animal level, from an environmental level, and the the mission that I'm working on right now is: look, because that's evil. Going to the exact opposite is: I'm never eating animals again. You will get sick. Your children will be less healthy. The the number of people who are less fertile will go down over time and we will slowly grind away the soil on our planet and we will not like what happens the only thing left is for there to be more people like you Cody and more farms like yours and at the same time farmers like 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 you like me like your network I will not send my animals to an industrial slaughterhouse I will I do not want to do that I will not send them 100 miles away from my house because I care about my animals it's not okay right so you have to have decentralized slaughterhouses So, Andy, what do you say to the regulatory people? Say, well, that might not be safe, right? So, so just you know, now's your chance to 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 say what you really think about that.
2: (laughs) Well, don't worry, they're not listening. There's a lot of (laughs) yeah. that's right. I'll cross my fingers. I'll 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 pay for this on Monday morning. Uh, No, I I think that uh, you know it it starts out uh, with you know you talked about the how the meat is. Uh, is is treated in the quality, you know, on the processing side, but also the quality that it comes in. That that also uh, goes to food safety, you know, when 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 grassroots. Uh, brings product in. They're bringing in extremely high end, uh, high quality product. They're, they're also bringing in a very safe product. You know we're, we're not getting in animals that are uh, covered in feces or, or have been sitting knee-deep in, in mud for uh, extended periods of time. Like these animals are coming in clean. We've got lower bacteria counts on these animals as they come in, so it makes our job a whole lot easier. With that being said, we, you know, we've got a lot more time on the uh, processing floor and uh, the harvest floor to be able to address that. We've got uh, interventions in place that are, uh, you know, all natural interventions that, that are in place to address that. But, but we're having to address a lot lower uh, microbial load on those animals because of the uh, grower standards and practices of grassroots and, and farmers like that. And so uh, I think that when you look at the volume that goes through our facilities, when you're looking at less than 100 animals, you know, 100 beef a week or 100 hogs a week, we've got less than, uh, you know, 20 to 25 people in, in uh, the, the large animal plants, you look at that and you put those in the facility and it just, it sets us up to succeed in a way that's really difficult when you're uh, in co- contrast to a large uh, facility doing beef where you're looking at over 5,000 head a day, or you're looking at hogs over 20,000 a day. I mean, it's, it's totally different line speeds. It, it, it's, there's, there's an investment from our team and our employees that can be there that just can't be found in a plant going that, that fast.
1: So, so one option is uh, we just uh, make uh, make all the all the workers of those plants wear astronaut suits in case they might come in contact with each other's cooties uh, or <laughs> any of the uh, uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria that are coating all of the food. I mean, it's not food, but the animals that they bring in uh, because of the rampant antibiotic use and the fact that they're feeding them uh, corn and soy and grains that are not useful. Uh, and so that is one path. Right. And if you do that, um, I I don't know what you guys would have the better thing. What's the average price in the U.S. for a pound of ground crap
2: beef? Well, on today's market. What if there was a way
1: to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD Plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD Plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD Plus. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. It's
2: it's, it's over $4 a pound right now on, on the, the current commodity markets. On uh, the commodity markets. So at a grocery store, are
1: people going to spend about 4 bucks a pound? Or are they going to spend 5 bucks a pound because of styrofoam yeah, plates and I all would, that? It, yeah, I would
2: say 4 to $5 dollars right now. Yeah.
1: Okay. And that's so you're a, listening a, to the
3: all, show. That's a real high right now, uh, given the, okay. yeah, the shortage. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's
1: yep. 40% of our meat capacity just got yeah. taken offline because oh, people are getting yeah. sick. Sure. That's, exactly. right. Um, that's right. And, and and that does say that the people who are working in industrial slaughterhouses are generally unhealthy. right? And that could be because they're paid below a poverty wage and poverty is associated with not being healthy. Th- there's that. <laughs> they're overcrowded and they're constantly exposed to animals covered in unhealthy bacteria because of what they ate and all the antibiotics they had. So like that is a job that is a rough job um, and it's rough, you know, long shifts, uh, you, you know, crowded sleeping quarters. Like It, it is just a, a recipe for humans to get sick as well as for animals to get sick. Um, so we lost 40% of our capacity. So the price of meat's gone up um, before the pandemic. We were at about three bucks a pound.
2: Probably, uh, you know, less, three, $3 at retail, at retail probably. Okay. Yeah.
1: Got it. So we got a twenty five percent increase. All right, Cody, grass, yep. grassroots co-op. I, yep. I want to get some ground beef, a pound of ground, sent to my door, yep. grass fed, raised yep. by a farmer who knew the animal's name and worked with the animal and an ethical butcher yep. Yep. <laughs> processed by Andy. Yep. Yep. You, can, you can look at the entire chain and you know it's got the right fats and has no antibiotics and like all of those things. Yep. How much does that cost?
3: About 10 bucks a pound.
1: So wait a minute. You're saying I'm going to go from four bucks a pound, yep. maybe four fifty, yep. to yep. ten bucks. So That's it's right. roughly twice as expensive it to is. eat yep. ethically yep. raised, grass fed beef that supported a living wage for a group yep. of people, That's grew right. soil. Yep, it's- it seems like you're underpriced. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> I, I, okay. I, yeah. I say that. Yeah. Okay, Superhuman just came out. It's my anti aging book. Yeah. Everyone's eating too much protein. You, you don't want too much protein. You don't need as much meat. So here's the deal. If you're listening to the show, I've been saying this for more than 10 years. It's in all of my books. People have lost a million pounds or more on the Bulletproof Diet. I'm not kidding. Eat half as much meat and pay twice as much for it. And if you do that, you will save your own biology. You will live longer. You probably won't get cancer. Uh. Your skin will look better. You'll you'll be happier. Uh, and you'll support your entire community. You'll support ethical treatment of animals. You'll support soil. You'll support jobs. And if you instead say, oh, I'm going to save money. And I know money's tight. And the bottom line is, seriously, replace the other half of the meat with other things that are cheaper than meat. And there's lots of them. Um, if you do that, you will immediately receive your personal health dividend from that. But your long-term, I'm going to call it the karmic impact of what you're doing, you will cause less suffering in the world than eating a fake meat substitute product. And, and, and I, I mean this from jobs, from uh, from other life forms like cute bunnies and turtles and all that kind of stuff. Like There is zero downside. And the fact you're eating less meat because it's more expensive will only make you live longer. But if you go down to zero meat, bad news. It's a U-shaped curve. You're going to fail on either end. Uh, and so that's it. It's twice as expensive, uh, and it's worth it. You can spend more at a local, you know, artisanal butcher, uh, and you might want to do that too, um, which isn't you know what Cody does. Cody, you know, he'll, he'll ship you from Grassroots Co-op. He'll ship you the meat, and is 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 world-class. And right now you probably have to cook at home anyway. But, hey, support your local butcher, right? If you have a yeah, local butcher yeah, still, yeah, you're lucky. For that. Keep that yes. guy in business. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> okay. all
3: for that. And we're definitely, you know, uh, all for you know, eating – uh, better quality and less meat too. That's definitely a position we have, okay. and uh, and I think that you know, people's health will benefit from it, and so will the environment um, and local rural communities, especially.
1: So uh, your budget should be the same for meat as it was before, uh, but you will change how you feel. Um, what's what's best uh, for for small farmers? There's there's poultry, right? Which is you know one side of it. They, they grow very rapidly, and they. Okay. I'm just being real straightforward. They shit everywhere. Birds are nasty. Okay.
3: Fertilize. Fertilize.
1: Fertilize. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't don't like chickens. Uh, I like turkeys. They're better. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then of course there's pigs and Mm -hmm. pigs are actually very interesting animals and they're actually low maintenance. And um, I I really enjoy pigs and uh, properly fed pigs are very healthy and improperly fed pigs are very dangerous. So if you're listening to the show, industrial pork is the number one meat to avoid uh because pigs have the same weaknesses humans have and that they use their kidneys instead of their liver to process toxins. So they build up nasty stuff in their fat. So if you were to splurge on one organic, grass-fed, properly done thing, I would tell you if you're gonna eat pork, eat <laughs> grassroots pork, <laughs> like do that yeah. instead of eating crap bacon somewhere, uh, because your health impact will be even higher there. But I'm asking you. You got chickens. You got pork. You got grass-fed beef. I don't think you guys do lamb, right?
3: We do a little lamb, some lamb. A little bit of no, lamb. Yeah,
1: okay, good yeah, deal. Yeah, right, yeah. So, from a farming perspective, uh, what do farmers like better? I only have experience in a couple of those. Yeah, so, so I think
3: it's it depends on what their land is like. You know, we, we encourage uh, diversity. So there's actually a nice symbiotic relationship between birds, whether it's chickens or turkeys and uh, herbivores. Uh, you know, sheep, lamb, or uh, goats or, or beef, um, and so like on our farm, we have every species. We have uh, chickens right now on the pasture, turkeys on the pasture, pigs in the forest, cattle out on the pasture grazing. And so you, uh, you know, with some farms, if they're smaller farms, they don't have enough acreage for beef, for instance. It sounds like your farm, it's a little bit smaller, lamb work out better. I couldn't for do something beef. Like
1: that. Yeah. I got like two cows. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Exactly. Um, and so it depends on your, your land base. Some farms, we're actually uh, starting to work with a, uh, a cooperative of farmers in uh, Mississippi right now. Uh, they're in sort of the training phase and they have land that's well suited for pork production. They have these great uh, uh, pine and oak forests that are going to be perfect for raising forest raised pork. Um, and they don't have a great, you know, it's not ideal for raising chickens. It gets to, uh, you know, it's just not the, the topography is not right. And so really it's, it just depends on the topography, uh, the land base and uh, you know, and ideally you're finding ways to use, to have multiple species so that you can really benefit from the symbiotic relationships, not just I mean, it makes the farm more efficient, also makes the, uh, improves, you know, you're able to do more soil building when you have that diverse mix of species rotating across. Um, and so really, you're just trying to make it as the most natural environment possible. So for us, our pigs are mostly in the forest They on our farm. They do a bit in the pasture, but they roam through the forest where they get acorns and hickory nuts and um, you know different berries there at certain times of the year. They get pawpaws that fall off the trees in the, uh, in the fall. And then uh, when they rotate through our forest, they're opening up that forest and you get grass growing underneath. And so it's a, um, you know, it's a it's a great way to utilize a part of our farm in a way that uh, is really creating a more um, is a better quality, healthier animal. Uh, the pork chops are amazing. <laughs> and then uh, also improving the biodiversity in the soil at the same time.
1: Right. When we moved to our uh, our place the land had been abused uh, you know there was a, a gravel pit on the front that's now you know a gentle sloping grassland um after a lot of tractor work and topsoil building Um, But the forests are also just all overgrown and and crappy. I I did not understand how how expensive it is to have humans go through with chippers and stuff to try and clean up a forest. Or you could just fence it off with temporary electric fencing and throw pigs in there. And they turn into a park. It it is ridiculous how healthy a forest is when it has animals return to it other than just deer.
3: Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Uh, And I, I think most people are... You would have no way of knowing this unless mm. you heard it on the show. Because yeah. why would you care? But but the idea of a forest raised pigs. Well, hold on, you're helping the forest. Yeah. Grasses right. in the forest. Um, it's it's magical what yeah, happens there. Yeah. And the side effect is happy pigs, and at the end of the day, meat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, what are these small farmers, um, the ones you work with uh, in your network? How worried are they about uh, the coronavirus? How affected are they by it?
3: Well, I think the concern is, um, you know, like just what they see in the news around supply chains shutting down. And so I think we have, um, you know, working with Andy and as he's highlighted already, um, the crews that uh, just the buy-in he has from his employees. Uh, You know, when you're a smaller plant like that, you're able to be much more nimble. You don't have the bureaucracy of having to get 6,000 employees up to speed on something. We're talking about, you know, 20 or 25 employees. And so um, I think there are concerns around that. We're taking extra caution uh, on the farms around biosecurity, just making sure that like when people come on, they wear a mask or have booties on. Um, And so just really trying to be careful, but for most farms, it really hasn't. We're already we're usually practicing social distancing anyway. You know, we live out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, not not a lot has changed, uh, except that grassroots yeah. is seeing an increase in sales, and so we're you know able to give these farms more business and bring on new farms. So that's uh, that's really right now the biggest change for us has just been overwhelming customer interest at this moment. People being at home, wanting to cook more, caring more about. You know, health is really taking a, uh, it's clear people just are being more health conscious at this time and taking this seriously. So,
1: so the farmers kind of like where I am like, I, I don't see a lot of people other than like a few local community people. Cause I live on a farm, yeah, right? That's it's, right. It, yeah. it's not like you're in a metropolis, right? Yeah. So I, I haven't noticed the, uh, the things that I wear the mask when I go to the hardware store every now and then, yeah. um, mostly cause it looks goofy. Um, but even then social distancing would be very easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, But uh, uh, so they're all experiencing that, but I guess they're experiencing this increase in demand. Uh, And I guess I saw that as well. Like we were almost sold out of our pork uh, for the first time, just because people are like, Oh, you have pork. We want pork, the underground pork economy here. (laughs) Um, So increase in demand. Why do you think that's happening now? Is it just because more people are home cooking? So everyone's going to grassroots and saying, look, if I'm going to cook, I would like to be healthy right now. It's a good time to do it. Or is it, Is it more of like an environmental awareness, like maybe it's time to take care of the world and myself? What do you think it is?
3: Yeah, I think it's probably, it's a mix of all those things. I do think a big chunk of it is people just, they're cooking more, which is super exciting. I mean, that's, you know, it's amazing how much better the world would be if we were all cooking a lot more at home. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm all for restaurants, but just like cooking at home versus going to Wendy's, you know, um, is a, it's a, that's a good thing for the world. Um, And so, and people, you know, at home, they're, when they're able to, when they're cooking their, and you know, they're, all, they're able to, they're splurging a bit more, you know, and they're focused more on health. Um, and you know, we're definitely seeing that, uh, we're selling more, you know, chicken backs for, for stock right now. People are really, you know, we're seeing more uh, bone broth yeah, yeah bone broth is really, really something that people are, 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 are craving right now. And for good reason, you know, there's a lot of nutrients packed in there. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: You know what drives me nuts? Uh, one of the large uh, powdered bone broth protein brands, I'm not going to call them out, you know, Bulletproof makes collagen, but we don't do a bone broth thing like that, like, bone broth protein. Dude, it's from industrial-raised chickens. <laughs> like, industrial-raised chickens. Like, you don't want to eat those bones. They're mm-hmm. full of toxic yeah. metals, and they're full of antibiotic residues. Yeah. Like, man, I wouldn't throw one of those in a stock pot. I would, I would frankly, this is some really – uh Egregious, but I wouldn't feed those to my pigs because it would make my pigs sick. And like, I don't want to make my pigs sick and I don't want to make the people eat my pigs sick. Right. And now, if I was starving, that would be a different animal. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah. I'm not starving. Right. So I, I'm looking at like this, this is part of my food chain, it's part of what my kids eat. And so I, I don't, you know, you, you can make an industrial waste, waste processing into that, but I'm not alone because mm-hmm. people are saying I'm going to order chicken backs so and yeah. I'll make my own broth, yeah. uh, which is, you know, Kudos to you if you're doing that. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you do that, uh, you're saving a ton of money over food delivery. And by the way, please do some food delivery, too, so restaurants will still be there after the pandemic. And if you order from the Bulletproof Grass-Fed Cafe in L.A. on delivery, thank you for that as well. Um, By the way, six years of running a a restaurant that has never served anything but grass-fed 100% of the time uh, because I believe in this. Um, but anyway, I am rambling a little bit there, but just, uh, uh, your, your, your belief on their motivation is some health, some extra cooking, some environmental, but you don't have a dominant answer. Yeah, we
3: that. don't have no, I think it's, it's, it's a bit of both. And I think that uh, we're definitely seeing though an incredible uptick. I also think people, you know, it's just, a, it's convenient too. I mean, it's a, it's a safe way, you know, you can order online and ship straight to your door. I also think that other places are experiencing outages in a way that you know, it's. Um, I think they. I, I do think there is a um, a growing awareness of the vulnerability of our meat supply chain, especially at the processing level, when one company or one plant produces you know 130 million servings every week, you know, and, and is producing five percent of the country's pork. Uh, that is a scary position to be in, and I think people are really it, waking up to okay. that right
2: now. So, um, okay. so yeah. I was just one interesting thing too is as Cody mentioned you know is is there's lack of supply on the grocery sales and some of these people are defaulting to uh, this product and trying it out for the first time maybe they wouldn't have otherwise and I think when they get it, it kind of goes back to what you talked about earlier is the difference in the quality of this product and when they get that in and they try it for the first time and maybe they would have never done it otherwise I think it's going to be interesting to see how many people uh, notice that um, realize what a difference there is and stay with it.
1: Uh, you know, th- thank you for saying that. There, there's something it something I learned uh, going from weighing 300 pounds uh, and and just on the journey of, of bulletproof uh, and my my big diet book came out in 2014, explaining this this grass fed thing and and helping to, to people understand how big it was. I call it a food high, but we're used to food high. Like I had you know pizza and beer, and I'm you know kind of lit up. But but that's like a a jangly feeling when you eat a a, a pastured pork belly right that's cooked right not like deep fried and burned and and too much or you eat a a grass-fed ribeye where the fat's yellow because it ate so much grass about like 20 minutes after you eat that I I don't know the right word for it but there's this feeling I I feel like in my chest it's like you're just like bursting with this like good energy not like coffee not like sugar it's a different thing your body's like yes like that's what I needed and i tell you if you're listening to this and you've never had good quality grass-fed grass-finished meat you cook it right don't burn the crap out of the outside of it don't put you know cheap barbecue sauce and ketchup all over it uh you know just just treat it with respect in your kitchen be careful you're gonna have a different night like like after you eat that dinner you you will have different dreams and i'm not even kidding like that is the difference in what this food does for you um and so like like to your point there andy it's it, people will try it and they're going to get that food high. And in my, uh, my goal, and I think we hit it most of the time at in my little you know, bulletproof cafe place down in Santa Monica. It's like every time someone comes in, I want to give them that thing. And man, we, we work hard on it. I don't know that everyone feels it every time, but you know, the quality matters and it, and it, it gets integrated into the way you show up that day and the next day. And uh, I, I got a question for you though, Andy. Um, just help me understand in comparison is you got a Cypress Valley Meat Company. How many employees do you have compared to like a big old meatpacking industrial facility? Like, what's the percentage there?
2: Well, across all our locations that we have, including poultry, we're under 100 people um, at all locations. And so when you look at when you look at one location having several thousand, I mean, that really puts it in perspective. And, you know, when, when we're, uh, the largest facility that we have is on the poultry processing side in terms of, of employees. And, and there's 55 there that work over, uh, two shifts. And so it's just a huge uh, contrast to what you see in industrial processors. Industrial processors look like factories. I mean, there's giant parking lots and shuttles and, you know, people coming yeah, in. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's what they yeah. are. You're yeah.
3: right. I mean, 6,000 people in, in some of the beef plants that have shut down, you know, it's a, a small city, small town.
1: <laughs> All right, let's talk tech. Yeah, you know, I'm a Silicon Valley guy, and uh, I remember uh, reading the very first white paper the year it came out uh, around Bitcoin. And I, in another life, I used to teach early classes on, on encryption for the first wave of e-commerce at the University of California. So I, I read it and I'm like, oh my god. Like, this guy's a genius. I, I understand. I see how it all works. And then I thought to myself, you know what? It'd be really cool to set up a laptop to do some Bitcoin mining. But seriously, I'm starting this, you know, bulletproof thing and I've got two young kids, whatever. I only have one young kid at the time. And so I'm like, you know, this is cool, but it's one thing I'm just going to choose not to do. I still regret that decision. But Here we are, not that many years later, and you're actually using the blockchain, which is not Bitcoin. It's the distributed ledger part of it. But in meat processing, which I would have thought if you told me that five years ago that you were just stupid and you were following uh, (laughs) some industry trend. Even I know it all works, but like, is there really a demand for this? But I was wrong. So tell me why you chose to use blockchain in food production and why people actually care.
3: Yeah. So, you know, this really goes back to what I was talking about earlier around our commitment to transparency. And that's what this was kind of born out of was a desire to uh, be as as radically transparent as we possibly could. Um, And in our search, you know, sort of our our passion for that and our our sort of. journey to be as transparent as possible we came across a company based out of the uk called provenance and they had developed a a blockchain powered platform that uh, was developed for supply chains to help create more transparency across that supply chain so that you could trace the journey of a product all the way from start to finish in our case all the way from the farm to the processor to the customer's plate and so, um, you know, that's what really drew us was that commitment. You know, when I first stumbled into this, I'd heard of of blockchain or heard of uh, Bitcoin, but didn't really have any clue, like, you know, hadn't really learned much about blockchain. But when I was able to sort of started, you know, digging into this and, and uh, read more about Provenance's platform, it really, you know, just it was clear that, a distributed ledger like this that can be, um, you know, where you can take information and records and store them in a publicly displayed way that's also secure and can't be uh, corrupted or, um, you know, if someone can't go in and, and uh, change the data, uh, really, uh, really stuck with me and and uh, was something that resonated and we wanted to implement that and so we were the the first meat supply chain in the country to really roll this out all the way to where. When a customer gets a package of grassroots, you know, a, a, a ribeye or a um, package of ground beef, they can scan that package, the QR code, and they can trace the journey all the way from farm to fork, uh, knowing, you know, learning about how it was raised, but also like where it went each stage and be able to and do that all on a blockchain powered uh, platform.
1: How do you know that someone doesn't just put the QR code tied to the blockchain on, on the sticker and then just put some crap meat in the package?
3: Well, you know, that's uh, a... <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, so I think part of this is having a... Uh, you build a sort of a network of trust here where you've got... Um, you know, farmer, so when you know, a farmer takes the chickens, they log in the information and they drop it off at the processor and the processor uploads that information and confirms the receipt. So you get this sort of um, this consensus based, you know, a chain that's that uh, where over you know time you're able to, um, you know, all the you know, it's, it takes all this information, presents it to the public where anybody can see it in a way that uh, really discourages any sort of um, uh you know, uh, misbehavior or fraudulent activity on this front. And so it's not a, um, you know, it's not a silver bullet, but it is a great way to create a, uh, you know, if you could go in and trace and say every piece of chicken or, or, or beef you got in the grocery store or every apple trace that, that would make, you know, you give consumers a lot more information as to where their food's coming from.
1: It does. And it sounds like the, the real answer is, you know, an unscrupulous processor could do that. But then let's see, they put cheap meat into an expensive meat package, but they can't take the expensive meat that they would have stolen and do anything with it except eat it. Because if, if they sell it as expensive meat, they have no provenance for it. So then they would have to sell the expensive meat as cheap meat. So it, it is self-limiting that way. And part of it, though, is that it, it would probably be cheaper uh, for an unethical uh, producer to just say, oh, yeah, yeah, and just randomly throw crap meat into the good packaging. But that's why you would never go to an industrial scale producer. And that's why I wanted to have Andy on the show here, uh, because like, look, we have a tight partnership. And Andy went to the trouble because he cares about, OK, you know, this animal comes in, it, it, that means it has to be tracked throughout the the slaughterhouse. How much more time does it take to do that versus just, you know, a parts apart? Is, is that mm-hmm. like a... Yeah.
3: Well, I, so I think one thing that's really interesting and, uh, or different about us is that, you know, when you go into a, a larger uh, processing plant, they have, say, chickens, for instance, they have chickens coming in from all different farms on one given day. And they just mix all that together. Uh, when we do, you know, ours are actually batched individually by farm. And so you know, there's there's a lot. Andy can speak to the extra work, but we go to we've always kept uh, that uh, the individual farm, the day it was processed. That's all one separate lot uh, that gives a a, you know just a a a radical level of traceability because of that. Otherwise, you know, you would uh, you know most when you go in and get a, a pound of ground beef. You know, I've read that it could be a thousand different animals in that one. You know, we do single an, animal origin grind, you know, where you can trace the exact, you know, you know exactly which farm produced that, what day it w- went in and where it was processed. And so
1: I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, the idea of eating a hamburger, anything more than medium rare was kind of horrifying. Like, oh, that's burned. It's all gray in the middle. Why would you do that? Uh, And then at some point in my late teens, actually, why would you eat a hamburger that wasn't gray throughout? Because it's probably going to get you really sick because we basically poisoned our our food chain. Um, I have returned to eating meat, medium rare, uh, because all of my beef comes from the same animal. I know because I just buy half the cow Um, or it comes from the, the lamb. And I raised it when I held it when it was this big, right? So it's clean meat, and I know that it's butchered well because I've been there, and I would do the same thing. And I'm sure that your FDA standards say all oh, meat must be cooked 156 degrees. Whatever, um, I, I don't have to say that, but you you might have to say it on the label. So I'd say I feel safe uh, when I'm in the states. I order uh, grassroots when I'm staying somewhere while, and I cook it, and <laughs> I cook it medium rare or, or even rare, and and like it's a different thing. But you can only do it when it's single animal not when it's that high pressure industrial beef wash that they do now, it's, it's frankly horrifying. Um, what about things like broth? Um, uh, Andy, I mean, it would be really easy to take the bones, you know, the beef bones and make a value added process, a uh, uh, product like you know, grass fed broth and all that. Is it something you've talked about doing or Cody? Is that, or is that like a next step? Uh, who does that? What do you do with the yeah, bones? Yeah, I think
2: it's, I think right now, well, a lot of times we're, we're taking and selling the bones and letting the customers make the broth. But in the future, you know, they, we want to add that those type of value added uh, products uh, to what we do in our processing schedule.
1: Uh, I, I'm interested in that because I want to make it so that that people who decide they want to run a business like yours, you know, it, it is meaningful investment, but you got to make enough returns that, that, that okay, you know, it's sustainable. So your kids want to do it uh, or your investors want to do it. So so that it's an attractive business uh, because it's almost like, why do we pay our teachers nothing? And, and why, why do we pay like the really important parts of our food chain so low, it's backwards. But it feels to me like like broth and bacon and sausage are really like the, the ways where people are willing to pay more for it. Um, demand for sausage that I'm seeing Grant, my market size is like zero, but but we sell out of sausage really fast here, and people want to pay more for it. And you know, we grow all of our own spices here anyway, so it, it's like okay, next year I'm putting pretty much everything that's not a premium cut into sausage because it tastes good and it actually makes a little bit more, and I can use that to help pay the people on the farm who help who help out on the farm, and, and it, it works out. So it, it feels to me like like you guys ought to. You know, Cody, work with your farmers, work with your processor. Like, get us some broth, get us some good sausage, get us some good
3: bacon. You know, And that, that's actually the that next stuff. step. So, Andy's right on the cusp of doing a, you know, a, an expansion to add some of these things in. You so are, yeah. So I'm send all some in. of those. Send some of those investors Andy's way.
2: So. Do you have a URL? You know, if people are like, yes, I want to know, sure. you can look. Yeah. Yeah, you can look at Cypress Valley Meat Company dot com or, or or natural state processing. they both have websites for both the large animal processor and the poultry processor.
1: Okay, got it. And so that's in uh, both in Arkansas. So if, if you guys want to find that you're interested in it, um it sounds like you're willing and able to talk to people. And I want to see you know a a small number of meat processors, not not more than the marketable sport, spread out across the country. Uh, It's as important as having grass fed is locally processed grass fed meat. And that's how you break the big food meat monopoly. And that's the stuff that's driving animal cruelty and driving habitat destruction and driving, you know, animal shit in water and all that kind of stuff. And you guys are, are fighting the good fight against that. And the only way we will survive our 60 year horizon for having soil on the planet is more of what you're doing like that. That's why this matters. And. Um, so just th- thanks for the work you're doing, guys. i'm I'm all in on it. And now that I have an amateur level of experience <laughs> that you guys have scaled up, I know how hard it is, but I know how rewarding and and important it is, and just you know what a what a sacred act it is to you know take a life like that and and make it part of the ecosystem and all that and and to be respectful throughout the entire life cycle, um including to when you ship it to someone's house and it becomes a part of you know part of their life. so i I, I am, you know, just just truly um i'm grateful but also just just in a little bit in awe of of the level of of planning and detail and execution that you guys have done at scale because i struggle with it <laughs> for like you know a few sheep and and uh to just thank you man to be able to like live in a big city and order that um it's uh it's something very special and something very new in the world uh and and if if we were to lose our local processors we lose our local farmers that's not the kind of world i want to live in Uh, So I want you guys to keep, keep doing what you're doing and do it even bigger. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Thanks a lot.
1: On that note, grassroots co-op, you're listening to the show. You've probably been listening for years or maybe you're a brand new listener. Uh, I'm going to tell you what I think right now. And I'm going to tell you two things. One, if you're not eating local grass fed uh, from a local farmer across the street or at your local farmer's market, um, then you need to go to grassroots co-op and you need to try it once and don't burn the crap out of it you know don't put all some sort of weird bottled you know spice mix whatever on it like do some real herbs and some quality salt and all that cook it to the best of your ability and just look at how you feel two times a half hour after you eat and then the next morning when you wake up you look at yourself in the mirror you look at your muffin top and go wait I don't have the muffin top I would expect. I don't have the heavy feeling. I don't have the sore joints. That's what happens when you eat food that's good for you. Expect that food high. Um, So uh, do that and it's also going to taste better and because it's grass fed and pastured you cook a little bit less. It's even it's a different product. So you you go a little bit light on that uh, because it it has a different composition. So that's your challenge uh, for this week is eat something that is grass fed and really good. And if you're a vegan, guys. I was a raw vegan. I, I can, you know, mash up an avocado like no one's business. Uh, I was a very, <laughs> very good vegan cook. It gave me autoimmunity. I did lose weight. Uh, it made my teeth fracture. Uh, it gave me a thyroid condition. I got oxalic acid poisoning. I got more sensitive to lectins than I was before. It disrupted my gut bacteria. A hundred percent plant-based diet is as stupid as a hundred percent industrial diet. Neither one is functional for you. Uh, so just go out there and try what I'm saying, one meal and watch what happens. And then look at your, if you're one of the ethical vegans out there, you look at what we just talked about on the show. You, you look at the package, go visit Andy, go visit Cody. Um, heck if you're on Vancouver Island, I'm probably not around for a farm tour. Uh, but I will tell you straight up, you visit that local farmer and you look at it and you realize that, if you look at the number of deaths per thing, there is no ethical argument for you to be 100% vegan. There is a great ethical argument for you to save the planet by building soil, and you have to build animals into the world. Uh, so from that that note, <laughs> grassfedcoop.com, it matters on like every level aligns, it's physical, spiritual, environmental, all of it. And, and these guys have done it right. And if you don't believe them, you can actually like like look at the provenance of where it came from. Uh, and I don't know a way to do this any better. And if I ever do, I'll tell you that. But right now, this is the best. Uh, and on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for learning. Stay safe during the pandemic and eat some really good food you cook yourself because now's a good chance to do it.
0: A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.